studied um, biblical studies. So part of my um, practice was to translate the Bible from the original languages. So at least I'm using it It's such a privilege to share the Word of God to you this morning. And my first observation being here to preach for the first time in Christian Bible Church is that we really are an Asian church because you can see the front rows are all empty while the back rows are packed to the brim. So I think this is something that I need to get used to. Um, so again, our passage today is in 1 Corinthians verses 26 to 31. And if you were here in the past few weeks, you would already know that the book of 1 Corinthians is a challenging and difficult book to understand. And our passage today, in verse 26 to 31, even poses even a more sobering challenge to all of us. Hence, the title of my message this morning is Loneliness, Suffering, and the Cross. Now, if you were here in the past few weeks, our pastors have already explained to us what the context of this passage is. The city of Corinth was a place that was burgeoning with trade, with affluence. It is like modern-day New York or Las Vegas. And given that, it was a cosmopolitan city. It was filled with culture. It attracted different, of different people. It attracted intellectuals to come and share the latest philosophies, the latest worldviews. And this set the scene for the division that occurred in the Corinthian church. You see, the Corinthian church began to side and pledge their allegiance to different church leaders. Some said, my allegiance lies with Apollos. While others said, my allegiance lies with Paul. While others would say that my allegiance lies in Cephas, or Peter, the disciple. Let me ask you this, church. What was the root cause of their division? What was the root cause of their division. Now, you might think it was a simple choice of different leadership personalities, but I believe the situation here was far more severe than that. It was a clash of ideology. It was a clash of ethnicity. It was a clash of even socioeconomics because the city of Corinth, the Corinthian church, was a multi-ethnic church. It had Jew, it had Greek, it had Roman, it had slaves, it had nobility, it had poor people, it had rich people. So imagine all that diversity in one place. That is like a, a ticking time bomb waiting to explode. So the Greeks began to side with Apollos because Apollos was Greek and perhaps he preached the gospel in a Greco-Roman rhetoric. Well, the Jews, they began to side with Peter, the disciple. Perhaps he preached in the tradition of Judaism. And of course, some said that my allegiance lies with Paul because he is the apostle who preached the gospel to us. Now, if I were to explain this situation that is something more relevant to us, something that is closer to home, I just want to take an example from what Pastor Nathan used a few weeks before. Imagine that CPCP, suddenly a group of people began to say, I pledge my allegiance to Boksu Jeremiah because he speaks the gospel in Chinese. He encapsulates the Chinese culture, right? the practicality of the Chinese people. So I follow his gospel. Maybe some people would say, I follow Rev. Jen. Reverend Genesis. Oh, Rev. Jen, I love He preaches the gospel with 
the great, with great rationality, with great logical deduction. So because of that, I follow Reverend Genesis. Perhaps other people might say, Ako naman, Reverend Mike, because he preaches an affectionate gospel, the gospel that moves the hearts of men, a gentle gospel, a lowly gospel. If Paul was here in our church today, what would he say? He would say this, Was Boksu Jeremiah crucified for you? Was Reverend Genesis crucified for you? Was Reverend Mike crucified for you? Was Christ divided for you? Of course, this is just an example. But in just painting a picture of how that situation in the Corinthian church would look if it's in our church today. And of course, this is a very real reality. Many churches, as you know, in the Philippines, grow by splitting. So this is something that we have to take account of. Let me ask you again, church, with this illustration that I just gave you, what is the root cause of the division in the church of Corinth? What do you think? Well, my answer is this. Division is caused by the worldly influences of our culture, specifically our desire for self-importance. And it is our failure to hold fast to the truth of the cross. You see, our culture will tell us that being rich is better than being poor. Our culture will tell us that some ideologies are better than other ideologies. Our culture will tell us that some races are better than other races. Our culture drives us to be better than others. Our culture drives us to have the right answers. Our culture drives us to possess the moral high ground. Our culture forces us to either be left behind or to become self-important. And Paul is saying this. He's saying, the Corinthian church has fallen into this trap. They have fallen into the trap of culture distorting their gospel. And they have forgotten the truth of the cross. Paul is asking the Corinthian church this. Do you understand the truth of the cross? And are you willing to live it out? You see, this passage is relevant to us because like the Corinthian church, we are vulnerable to our worldly influences, to our cultural narratives, to becoming self-important. And all these things, they would cloud the importance of the cross, the truth of the cross. So how does Paul respond to this problem of culture distorting the gospel? Well, he says, in verses 26, pay attention to your calling. The word calling, klesis, in the Greek, evokes an invitation of calling, an invitation of God. It is to remember your very experience of salvation. It is to remember the very experience when you have experienced the eternal hope of God himself. And it is the same word found in 1 Timothy 8.9. So allow me to read it for you. Sorry, 2 Timothy Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prison, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us, places, to a holy calling, but not because of our works, but because of his purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the age began. This is a calling that does not come from strength, but of weakness. It is not a calling that comes of works, but of grace. 
It is a calling that doesn't come from self-importance, but one that is rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, many of you who know me here well would know the story of my calling. When I graduated from uh, university, I started working immediately, and I was assigned in the Bicol region because I was in sales. When I was in Bicol for six months, I was completely alone. It's kind of awkward because my mom's here. But I was completely alone, and um, at that time, I didn't really go to church. I rarely went to church. It was in that period of time that I began questioning my faith, questioning my Christianity, my heritage. I don't know. I began asking myself, is the gospel really true? I began asking myself, is this all there is to the Christian life? If this is all there is to the Christian life, then why is my life so ugly? Why is my life so, so dull, so meaningless? And I, I had a car accident four months into my vehicle stint. My car flipped over. Thank God nothing happened to me. I'm alive, obviously. And some of you may ask, what caused the car accident? Well, it was a combination of several factors. It was a combination of the wet asphalt road, my irresponsible need for speed driving, and largely due to my tattered emotional and mental state. So when you have a life-threatening accident in the middle of nowhere, with no cell phone reception, with a broken car, in the most remote regions of Bicol, it looks something like this, by the way, one begins to ask, to question, what is the meaning of it all? What was the point of me working so hard in chasing after status, in chasing after that next promotion, in chasing after a higher salary? Because for me, it became so empty in the face of the very real reality of death. It became so empty in the very real reality of this unexplainable suffering that I was carrying in my heart, this very real emptiness that I had. The point of my story is this. In that desperate moment of my weakness, I began to understand somewhat the truth of the cross. Instead of a faith that I believed that I had to be perfect, that I had to be a saint-like creature, that I had to be this perfect pastor's kid, it was a faith that began to seek out Christ in weakness. It was a faith that told me I had to be weak, I had to be inadequate for me to experience Christ. It was a faith that told me that worldly status mattered for nothing in the face of the cross. Now, this is what I remember when I hear Paul's words. Remember your calling. Do you remember the moments when you came to faith in weakness, in complete inadequacy? Do you remember the time when you experienced the joy of the Lord's salvation? Do you remember that you came from a place that was so, so ugly that it became so funny? Because when Paul reminds us, of our calling. It is to remind us of our experience of the cross. We are saved because of our weakness. We were saved because we died alongside Christ that day upon the cross. We were saved because we were crucified alongside our Lord Jesus Christ. So now, let me ask you this, church of CPCP. Do you understand the truth of the cross? And are you willing to live it out.
Now, Paul continues by explaining in verses 27 to 29, he explains the implication of what this cross means. Let me read it for you. However, God chose what is stupid in the world to humiliate the learned, and God chose the feeble to humiliate the strong. God chose the insignificant and despised in the world, especially those who are nobodies, to render powerless those who are somebodies, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. This is the implication of the cross. God did not choose the victors of history. Instead, he, God chose the losers. God chose the zeros in life. God chose those who were nobodies. God didn't even choose those who were average. His Christians, his saints, we are meant to be the worst of sinners. Because if the worst of sinners can come to Christ, can come to God in salvation, then the church is God's proof to the world that his message is true, that the cross is life-changing, that the cross is life-transforming, that the cross has the power to save. Let me explain this better by showing you some passages from the gospel. What does a cross mean for us? Well, in Mark, it says this. In calling to the crowd, Jesus is calling to the crowd with his disciples. He said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take his cross and follow me. In the gospel of Luke, it says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Many of us here are longtime Christians, I believe. I know many of you personally. Many of us have been Christians for 10 years, 20, even more than that, I believe. I believe most of us understand the gospel cognitively. We understand it in our minds. We understand the life of Jesus, the implications of his life in our minds. But you may fully understand it in your minds, but still fail to live it out. Amen? Amen. Oh, okay. Thank you, dear. You got me. You may fully understand the power of the life of Christ, but still fail to embody his lifestyle. Isn't that scary? Isn't that hypocritical? Isn't that the very reason why people, when they look at church and think of church, they think, ah, that, that place is full of hypocrites. Isn't that scary for us as a church? Isn't that scary that this reality could be true? And I know it's difficult for many of us because the lifestyle of Christ that we, are, that we ought to embody is a lifestyle of the cross. Jesus spent three years of his life doing ministry. He was preaching God's word. He was doing good deeds. He was doing miracles that no one in this world could have ever done. But he knew at the end of those three years that he would be crucified, that he would die the most miserable, miserable death upon the cross. And this is what it means to carry your cross all the days of your life. It is to transform your very perception of the world, your worldview, your lifestyle, and even your values and your life itself. I just want to ask everybody, do you guys know Pastor Alan? Like Pastor Alan, one of our community pastors here in CPCP. If you know him, then you know Pastor Alan is a very unassuming person. He carries no ego. I, I think Pastor Alan is as humble as humble people come. And I had one of the greatest privileges of working with Pastor Alan in 2019. I saw the heart of what his ministry was. He's actually our campus ministry pastor. And in 2019, when I was still a pastoral apprentice, I was still studying, I was invited to volunteer in VBS, Vacation Bible School, in uh, PIQC High School, where they invited 
less fortunate kids to be part of the VBS. These were kindergartners, four years old, five years old. Now, church, if you have handled kids before, you know this invitation. It was an invitation into sheer pandemonium itself. It was chaos embodied. So imagine kids running around, screaming, ah, they're jumping. They're ignoring the Bible lessons that you prepared the night before. And I'm not proud to admit it, but I think I was crushed by a couple of four-year-olds in the span of an hour. Because kids are not afraid to tell you that you are boring. I kid you not, they told me that. (laughs) Kids can be very cruel. And I began questioning the very reason I was there. Instead of teaching these crazy kids, I was thinking to myself, I should be actually studying you know, in seminary. I should study more books. I should be dreaming of doing better things, bigger things for God. How utterly meaningless, I said to myself. How utterly useless. But at the heart of the pandemonium of crazy four-year-olds was Pastor Alan. He had the brightest smile on his face, and he had his signature laughter. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so you guys do know Pastor Alan. And he was so filled with enthusiasm, with energy. He was literally dancing with these children. Like, that was a photo there. And I was thinking to myself, I've never seen like a grown 40-year-old man dancing with children. That was the first time I saw it there. And in that moment, I had a profound realization. The only people there was me, Pastor Alan, and a student volunteer, Kenneth. Oh, you're there. I see you, Kenneth. Yeah. So there's only three of us there with all these kids. I realized at that time, Pastor Alan will never become famous in that ministry. No one would know what he was doing. You guys don't even know this. I was the one who told you this. In that ministry, no one would see Pastor Alan as a selfless and self-sacrificing person. In that ministry, no one would ever say that Pastor Alan, magaling yan. No one would ever say, si Pastor Alan, he's such a good pastor. No one would know. It was a ministry behind the scenes. In that ministry, Pastor Alan would be anonymous. He would receive no glory from anyone. I realized that Pastor Alan had shown me the true meaning of the cross very, very early on. It was the most perfect, can I see that? Can we show the slide again? It was the most perfect picture of insignificance, of self-denial, and it was so beautiful. Pastor Alan was serving the least of us, less fortunate children who doesn't even know what he was doing, who can't even give him glory at the end of the day. On that day, I recognized recognized Pastor Alan as somebody who truly understands the cross, what it truly means to carry his own cross and embody the lifestyle of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, when I was asking Pastor Alan, hey, Pastor, can I use that example in my message today? He said, okay. Then he sent me this message. He said, um, let me check my telegram. Lang. I said, oh, okay. Thank you. Niya, May the Lord be glorified in our work. God can use simple people, simple ministries to glorify his name. I can't believe he said that, right? It really shows what a humble and so an unassuming person he was. The point of this story is this. My friends, the cross is not just a belief. It is a lifestyle. It is a lifestyle of self-denial. 
Church, are we working towards our own glory? Towards our own advancement? Towards our own self-importance? Or are we working on crucifying ourselves on the cross day by day? Let me ask you this again for the third time. Do we understand the truth of the cross? And are we willing to live it out? Paul's message to the church in Corinth is very simple. He's saying this. How can you be divided over petty squabbles of race, of ideology, of leadership, when your Lord Jesus Christ was crucified for you? How can you be more self-obsessed in having the right answers than being self-obsessed with being more lowly, more humble, abound for others? Paul is saying this, church, you have forgotten your gospel. You have forgotten your gospel because you have forgotten the truth of the cross. And you have forgotten the truth of the cross because you are so full of yourself. That is what Paul is saying. If we understand and we read the entire book of 1 Corinthians, we would understand that it's generally Paul's plea to move the church from its prideful autonomy towards a utter dependence upon God. Because only then will the cross answer the world's problem of sin, of arrogance, of division. The cross is God's answer to this world that is filled with hate, prejudice, and conflict. Hence our theme, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer to the problem of our sin, our arrogance. Jesus is the answer because the cross is the answer. But we can only live out the cross when we are truly humble, when we are truly and utterly dependent upon God himself. For dependence to occur, there must first be an acknowledgement of weakness. For the cross to be real in our lives, there must be dependence. And for dependence to occur, there must first be an acknowledgement of weakness. Last year, I had a class project in uh, my seminary with left-behind widows and orphans. These were left-behind widows and orphans from the victims of the drug war. Now, I don't know about your political leanings or sidings, but it has been well-documented. 20,000 people have been killed by EJKs, extrajudicial killings. From this, there was a ministry that was formed by Father Danny Pelario. He is a St. Vincentian priest who I had the privilege of interviewing and getting to know. He was ministering to these widows and orphans of the men that were killed by the EJK. Now, part of my project was to go into the heart of Payatas and interview these widows and orphans and learn from their experiences. I'm going to be honest, sharing my experience today is still very difficult for me because I have learned that when these women have lost their husbands, they did not only lose the primary breadwinner on that day. When these women lost their husbands, they, have, they lost everything that day. They lost their family, their friends, their relatives, because no one wanted to be associated with them. To be associated with them is to be associated with the drugs. To be associated with the drugs is to be on the next hit list of the Tertes Killing Squad. These women were poor, very uneducated, uneducated. They had no access to legal support 
why, you may ask. Because the very LGUs were co-conspirators of the drug war. The barangay captains were the ones who were pinpointing, ito drug user, ito pusher, ito user, and he would send that information to their executioners for them to be killed. Frankly speaking, these women, they were abandoned by our society, they were abandoned by our country. What could these women do? What could these women do? They were the most marginalized people in our country, in probably one of the most, the worst slums in the world, the trash heaps of payatas. In my interview with Father Danny, he told us in the height of the drug war, he held a mass. And in that mass, he purposely invited the barangay captains who were co-conspirators of the drug war. And he surrounded the barangay captains with the widows of the men that they helped kill. In that mass, he asked a simple but profound question. Is it right for us to kill people? Then you could hear the chorus of widows screaming and shouting, Hindi! Hindi! I kid you not, this was a story that Father Danny told me. And the barangay captains, they were deadly silent. Then Father Danny asked, Ikaw, Kapitan, ano sa tingin mo? Mari bang pumatay ng tao? To which the Kapitan said, Depende. Father Danny has long reflected on the relationship of the gospel and the poorest of the poor living in our margins. He asked me this question in our interview. How does our belief, how does our theology, how does our gospel take into account the issues of the poorest of the poor? For these widows, these women, they serve as our most prophetic voices. These are the voices from the gutter of society, among mga squatter, as you might call them, or you might think of them, ang mga salot ng lipunan, that put into question our Christian beliefs and practices. When I was interviewing these nanais, these widows, they often recalled their experiences with tears, and the room was often filled with a deafening silence. Can we show the, the slide again of the, the house? Yeah. We were interview, we were, I, went to the, I was interviewing them in a house, something like this, into a, like a, a broken down shanty. As they were calling their experience, they recalled that at that time, they were calling out to God, crying out to God, complaining to him. Where were you, God, when their husbands were killed in the drug war, when they were unjustly killed? But as time passed, they began to realize that their faith was everything. That faith was the only thing that was keeping them going. And when the interview was about to end, the widows began screaming and shouting, Hala yung coke, yung coke, ilawas natin yung coke. It turns out they prepared soft drinks for us in the interview, but they forgot to bring it out. And honestly, I was so dumbfounded. I'm still so shocked. I didn't even think of bringing them anything. I thought that this was just a, for me, this was just a purely academic requirement that I had to do. But this has been one of my most life-changing, most meaningful experiences of my life. I had to write a reflection paper for this activity or for this academic requirement, as I said. 
And allow me to read an excerpt of the reflection paper that I wrote. I have always tried to walk with kindness and justice. However, these women, left victimized by the drug war, have shattered my shallow notion of justice. I asked myself, is this the life I ought to lead while others suffer and die? When I sat and listened to their stories, they offered me a cold drink despite having little themselves. They were told their stories with a stunning sense of warmth and compassion. As for their justice, it eludes them still. Still, they are wrongly ostracized, yet they continue to carry themselves with a grace that baffles me. Full of questions, I had the thought. How come it is those who have lost the most often still have the most to give? How come it is those who have lost the most who still often have the most to give? Church, for some weird reason, in the trash heaps of Payatas, where the smell is unbearable, where the streets are covered with dung and rotting garbage, where the canals gushes out a disgustingly black sludge, for some weird reason, in the trash heaps of Payatas, I saw and felt Christ in each one of these nanas, in each one of these widows. As they carried themselves with abounding love, with resilience and compassion for one another, they carried themselves with a quiet dignity that I can't help but see the cross's transforming power in them, through them, around them. Church, because for dependence to occur, for the cross to be real in our lives, there must first be an acknowledgement of weakness. These women were as weak as we can be, and because of that, they depended on God with a reckless abandon. From the aftermath of the drug war, emerge a widow's fate forged in steel. My friends, my brothers and sisters, my church, do we understand the truth of the cross and are we willing to live it out? Paul continues in verses 30 to 31. It ends with God's wisdom and Jesus upon the cross. This is what Paul says. It is because of him, God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. In order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul is saying this. Jesus Christ is our answer. His life is our example. And by following the lifestyle of Jesus Christ, we are following in the lifestyle of the cross. We shall experience then, only then, if we walk in the lifestyle of God, in the lifestyle of the cross, then we shall begin to truly experience God's wisdom, His sanctification, His redemption, and His righteousness. And if you are able to do that, to follow in the likeness of Jesus Christ upon the cross in total weakness, it means no one can ever boast in his or her own status. Church, Christian Bible Church of the Philippines, our greatest challenge today as a church is our middle-class Christianity. What is a middle-class Christianity, you might ask? Well, it is basically having a dichotomized faith or a separated faith. You hold the gospel in one hand, but the li your lifestyle is completely different. That is our biggest challenge today.
It is going to church religiously on Sundays, but then having a completely different life from Mondays to Saturdays. Church, we're beginning to live for more. More money, more status, more comfort, more and more and more and more and more. While your King, Jesus Christ, gives and gives and gives and gives. I hope I do not offend you, but I just want to let everybody know that this is our greatest problem today. We have become so rich and so powerful and so privileged, like the Corinthian church, that we should be careful and we should be wary. We have become so rich, if you come to church late at 9.15, ano na yung problem? Wala nang parking, right? Three basements are full with cars, are filled with cars. And if you look at our side streets, that's all our cars parking around the church. We have become so privileged that many of us have graduated or is studying in a named or famous university. We have become so powerful that many of us have businesses, that many of us are business owners, that, that most people can only dream of ever having. These are not bad things, church. I'm not saying these are bad things. But I'm saying this. We have become so powerful. We have become so rich. We have become so privileged that it has become difficult for us to depend on God. It has become difficult for us to truly understand the depths of our weakness because we are so strong. We are so rich. We are so privileged. I'm not saying that you are bad people. I'm saying that we have to be careful. With great responsibility comes with... Ay, parang mali, no? With great power comes with great... Parang, masa yun, guys, gets mo na ako, di ba? Sorry, guys. Guys, I'm so sorry. This is my first sermon. I just want to tell everybody. But that's what I'm trying to say. We have become so powerful that it's become difficult for us to depend on God and to understand how truly weak we really are. Next week, we're going to have a communion. Um, I just want to ask everybody, do you understand what the, or do you, have you ever wondered what the symbol of communion means? What does it mean for you guys? You see, in the ancient times, uh, the kings would demand tribute from their subjects, right? They would demand the best of what they had, the best of their land, the best of their possessions, the best of their provisions, the best of their food, the best of their bread. But Jesus Christ did not demand bread from you. Instead, he became bread for you. His body was broken and crucified upon the cross. His body broken so that his body can be bread and serve as nourishment for all of us. Church, your King Jesus Christ demands no bread from you, but he demands that you be bread broken for others. I know, church, this is a challenging passage. I know it is sobering. It is terrifying. I probably feel this is how the first Corinthian church felt when they were reading that passage. My goodness. This is scary. They might have thought about it. They might have thought to themselves. But we are called to carry our cross. We are called to live out the cross. But how, you may ask. But how? I believe the simplest way to live it and to measure it is to assess every decision that we make through the standards of the cross. It is to ask yourself this simple question. In the spirit of the cross, how am I supposed to live? How am I supposed to make this decision? In the spirit of the cross, how am I supposed to live? How am I supposed to make this decision? 
And we have to be very careful. We have to be very steadfast. We have to remind ourselves of this question every single day for the rest of our lives, every single moment. Ironically, as I was preparing this message up about the cross, you know, I was writing on it, then I felt hungry. So I went to our office pantry. I went to get a box, a uh, pack of Oreos. Give it box, pack lang pala. I got a pack of Oreos. I was eating it. Then suddenly, big crumbs of Oreos fell upon the floor. And I immediately thought to myself, okay lang yan, the housekeeping will clean it up tomorrow morning. And I realized that I made that split decision in, well, upon an underlying assumption that my time is more important than the housekeeping person's time, that I was ultimately more valuable than the housekeeping person's. Ironically, as I was preparing on a message of the cross, I failed to live out the cross in the most simplest of decisions, such as cleaning up the crumbs of the Oreos that I ate. This is to tell us, tell everybody, that every decision that we make we have to be very vigilant. We have to be very careful. Think about the cross. How can I make this decision in light of the cross? Where is the Spirit? May the Spirit guide us in making this decision. This is the gospel that Paul is preaching. This is what it means to be a Christian. It is to become so self-forgetful that division is no longer in our vocabulary. It is to become so lonely, so humble, so gentle, that instead of living for ourselves, we begin living for other people. This is the life of Christ. This is the example of Christ. This is the example of the cross. Now, I want people to be careful with this application. I do not mean that you should open yourself up to all forms of suffering, to open yourself up to all forms of abuse. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that when natural suffering comes, our job is to embrace it and learn from it and become more self-denying each day to see the cross in our sufferings each day. Now, in terms of application, I just want to be more specific. I know many of us here are in business. We do business. Let me ask you this. Are you in the business of maximizing your profits or are you in the business of helping people? Is your business life-giving? to your suppliers, to your customers, to your employees? Where is the cross in your business? A lot of you are young professionals in the workplace. Let me ask you this. Are you in the company to only maximize your self-growth and status? Are you only there to gain the biggest promotion, the highest status, the highest salary? Where is the cross in your context? Many of you are youths. Why do you study so hard, youth? What's with all the late-nighters? All-nighters. Why do you worry so much about what people might think? Where is the cross in your life? If self, is self-achievement more important than the cross of Christ himself? Where is the cross in your context? There are seniors here. Hi, uncle. Hi, auntie. But I think the most difficult thing in our Confucian culture is the idea that the older you are, the more status you have. And the more status you have, the more you can demand of people who are younger than you. Let me just remind you, my dear seniors whom I love, please don't crucify me. <laughs> well, I should be. <laughs> Sorry, guys. That's a cross joke for everybody who didn't get it. Um, yeah, for our seniors, allow me to remind you that the kingdom of God, status matters for nothing. Age matters for nothing. Our Lord Jesus Christ, our King, 
has served, so we should also learn how to serve. Church, imagine if the cross was so vividly real in our lives, in our church, in the Corinthian church, then it would be such a beacon of light in this place of division, in this world of prejudice, in this world of suffering. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. I know this is a heavy uh, passage, but don't be discouraged because carrying the cross is a process of a lifetime. We have to do it every day. And we can't rely on our own strength or that would defeat the purpose of carrying the cross. It is to depend upon the Spirit each day and every day and every moment for the rest of our lives. My family, to the Church of God, that is in Christian Bible Church of the Philippines, can I end with this question? Do you understand the truth of the cross and are you willing to live it out? So let's just end with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time, Lord, that we can just reflect upon the idea, the theology, the gospel behind the cross. May we truly understand what it means, what it is demanding of us. And may we not be discouraged. May we be empowered to rely more upon the Spirit day by day, to rely more on you day by day. May we embody the lowliness, the gentleness, the humility of who you are, O Lord. May we abound in love as you have abounded in love for us. These things we pray, Lord, in your name. Amen. Now we will just have a moment of silence to just reflect upon the message that we have heard this morning.